Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. I'm going to have you turn your Bibles with me to... I'm actually going to have you turn to Hebrews 8. We'll be in 2 Peter chapter 1. But we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 8. So turn there with me if you would. Hebrews chapter 8, and we'll be looking at verse 10. So Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. Now I'm going to read uh, a familiar passage, Matthew 26, verse 28. So you listen to me first, and then we'll look at the Hebrews 8. The Lord Jesus, the night of um, the um, Lord's Supper, at the Last Supper, I said this, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he ratified the new covenant. He did not fulfill it because the new covenant is fulfilled uh, in the nation of Israel. But he ratified or he he began, he partially uh, fulfilled the new covenant with his dying on the cross. And in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, although the new covenant is fulfilled in the nation of Israel, it is partially fulfilled today, and this portion of scripture applies to us. And this is what it says. For this is the covenant, that's a new covenant, that I will make, I will make with the house of Israel. So again, it's going to be fulfilled through Israel. After those days, says the Lord, but this applies to us, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. When you got saved, God wrote his laws on your heart and on your minds. God wrote his commandments on your heart and your minds because God wants us to obey that. And we have an innate desire to obey God's commandments. Now, go back to 2 Peter chapter 1, because that's what we kind of spoke on last week, is that God has given us the tools to know him, to live the Christian life and to know him. He's given us the abilities and the tools. We saw that in verse 3, for example where it says we have God's divine power. And in verse 4 of Second Peter uh, chapter 1, we have God's divine natures. And then you add the Hebrews passage, Hebrews 8.10, we have God's laws written on our hearts and our minds. So we have the tools to live the Christian life. We have the tools and the ability to know God in an intimate way. But just because you have those abilities doesn't mean it's just going to automatically happen. Just like the athlete that is a gifted athlete will not, <clears throat> will not develop into a gifted athlete unless he works hard. Or the musician, although gifted, won't develop unless they work really hard. 
or the artist or the, the intellectual or whatever you want to put in there, there's hard work that has to be put in. It's no different with knowing God. We have a relationship with God. You talk about relationships with people. Aren't relationships work? We talk about marriage, right? Those of us particularly married a long time. I thank God for marriage, but I also know that marriage is a lot of work. You get out what you put into it. Okay? Why would that be any different with our walk with God? I think as, as a whole, as a church, and I'll talk about this church, the professing evangelical church has this laissez-faire attitude about our relationship with God. We'll put our five minutes in a day in our devotions, and we kind of put God aside, and then we just do our thing. That's not building relationship with God. That's a joke. That's what it is. God says, you want to know me? Moses knew God face to face. What is more important than that? Is that what we want? Or is there other things that just are kind of what we focus on? Knowing you, Jesus. More about Jesus. Is that what makes our heart beat? Is that why we get up in the morning? Is that what we're pursuing? Very easy for that to get choked out, isn't it? With the world. So in order to know God, we must work hard. And that's the title today. Now, three simple points, just like you would apply to anything else. If you want to achieve something, time and effort. You want to know God, you got to put time and effort into it. You want to know God, bad word, discipline. You want to know God, sacrifice. Just like we would apply to somebody who wanted to be the best at something else or be really good at something. Those things need to be applied to knowing God as well. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, that you called us or you saved us into fellowship or close communion with your son. You saved us to have close, intimate relationship. And I have found in the book of Philippians and in 1 Peter and now here in 2 Peter, I've been amazed how many times you talk about that. The desire for that. And, and the only thing I can think of, Lord, is the reason why you continually mention that is because it's something we need to hear. And our flesh wants to fight against that. Even though, Lord, we have the, the Spirit of God in us, we have your word written on our hearts and minds, we also have our old nature that wants to disobey you. We have the world that wants to conform us into its image. We have the devil who hates you and wants us to worship everything else but you. So we are in a battle. And Father, I pray today as we're reminded again, again, as we've been so many other times, speak to us, challenge us, encourage us, 
Lord, because to know you is the best thing in the world. And the biggest treasure in this world is you. And the Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that you have come to give us life and life more abundantly, but that life is found in building a relationship in you. Help us to be renewed today. And we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Time and effort must be put in. We see that here as we look at verse 5. But also for this very reason. For what reason? We just talked about it. Verse 3. God has given us his divine power. Verse 4. God has given us his divine nature. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10. God has, has written his law in our hearts and mind. For this reason... Because God did this, giving all diligence, work hard, and put time into knowing God. Because then he continues, add to your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge. So you have your faith, you have virtue, and you have knowledge. When we get saved, we're saved by faith. But our faith is still very small in regards to our trust in God. And we have to develop that faith over time. I think of Abraham. Abraham got saved in Genesis 15 verse 6. And Abraham believed God that God was going to make a nation from him, even though he was 75 and his wife was 65 and they didn't have any children. That was faith. In fact, it was saving faith. But then in the next chapter, 10 years later, Abraham commits adultery with Sarah's handmaid because of a lack of faith on both of them. Because they waited 10 years and didn't have any children. And out comes Ishmael. And God says, no, the promise isn't going to be through Ishmael. And so he had to wait another 15 years, and then Isaac is born. But that's not even a strong, the, the great challenge of, of Abraham. Because in Genesis, I think, chapter 22, Abraham, when Isaac was probably about 16 years old, and God said, here's the son that's going to give you uh, children and offspring, and that those offspring are going to be a nation. God says to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice him. Kill him. And Abraham's faith was so strong, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, I want you to picture this. He waited all those years, and that's his only son. And God says, kill him. Offer him as a sacrifice. What a test of faith. By the way, side note, our children belong to God, right? Not to us, but to God. And he will love them and loves them more than we will ever love them. Know that. Abraham is ready to sacrifice his son. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, and this is where faith really comes in, because faith is believing God's word above anything else. Above our experiences, above logic, above our desires. I believe God's word above that. 
Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to build your faith up? You got to read the word of God, right? If you're not reading the word of God on a daily basis, if you're only spending a little time in God's word, you're not growing in your faith. You're not growing in your walk with God. It's impossible to do. But Abraham trusted God's word because God said, I'm going to make a nation from Isaac. So Abraham concluded, even though he never saw this, he believed it, that even if he would kill Isaac, God would have to raise him from the dead because he trusted God's word. And that's how God wants us to live. The point is, you see Abraham's faith growing in that time, but it doesn't happen automatically. It grows with work, with trials, with difficulties, with memorizing scriptures, with confessing sin, with pouring out our heart to God. That's how it grows. Turning to him. It's one of the big reasons God sends trials in our lives. He forces us to draw close to him. And then you have a decision. You can get discouraged and turn from him, or you can draw close to him and find treasures through that trial. Now, God says here, be diligent, not casual. Hebrews eleven six says that God is a rewarder to those who diligently, not casually, seek him. You've got to be diligent. Time and effort. But for this reason, giving all diligence adds to your faith. And then it says virtue and the virtue knowledge. You can tie in knowledge here because I don't think the order really matters too much. But knowledge, again, is to get to know him. It's, it's, it's gnosko. And it's an experiential knowledge. So I want to experience God. I want to build my relationship with God. And again, it happens by the way we state it. Reading his word and praying and journaling and confessing sin and turning to him. So you add to that. And our relationship with God hopefully is much stronger now than it was when we first got saved. But it takes work. You can be a babe in Christ and be saved for years if you don't put the effort in. There's effort that ties in. And I think as a byproduct of that is virtue. Virtue is, is living a virtuous life, living a holy life, living a godly life. And, and that purging process, that progressive sanctification comes, but it comes with hard work in our pursuit of God. And so, as we saw today earlier, as Brother Eric read in John chapter 15, we can't do anything apart from God. So we yield to God. We yield to God's power. But then we work. It's God working through us. It's not us doing it. It's God working through us. Again, as St. Augustine has said, I mentioned this before, pray as if everything depends on God. Because it does. Yield your will to God because it depends on him to give us the strength. But then work as if everything depends on you. Time and effort. Now, we can sum that up. Go to Psalm chapter 1. I can probably sum up everything I said in Psalm 1. A psalm that many of us are familiar with. 
But being familiar with something doesn't mean it affects us or changes us. We can be hearers of the word and not doers of the word. God wants us not just to be hearers, but doers. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. By the way, that's a good reason to limit your television and social media, right? Because it's a counsel of the ungodly. Nor stands in the path, path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the school. is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now let me say this about the word of God. The word of God, uh, when you first, this is my experience, when I first got saved, I was so excited to re read the word of God, and, and, and excited about changes. And then as that relationship with God goes on, it, the, the excitement isn't necessarily there as it used to be, and so what you have to do is you have to work hard at the excitement, just like we did when we were first dating our spouses, there is the excitement, right? And then as time goes on, you have to work harder at that, okay? And that's how it is with the Word of God. And so his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his delight will be in it if we work hard at getting God's Word into our hearts and our minds. That's the idea. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And what does that mean? That means you meditate or think of God's word all the time. Your mind is always working. It's always working. You're at work. Your mind is working on other thoughts. You're working out. Your mind is working on other thoughts. Sometimes you're talking to people and we have to admit this, right? It shouldn't be. Our mind is, you know, drifting. It's always working. It's always working. Now I say, you know what? If I'm working out or if I'm getting breakfast or if I'm getting changed, Instead of just thinking on things that are, you know, kind of just vain and useless, I may as well pray and listen to God's word. I may as well do that and just keep doing it and keep doing it. And I think, and, and I may as well just start, you know, I, I did a lot of driving when I was door dashing and, um, and I do a little door dashing now. And, and I find, I found like a lot of time to be able to start trying to memorize scripture. And then keep going over it because it's in there and you keep going and you have to keep going over it because if you don't keep going over it, you forget it, right? So you keep going over it. And so we're meditating on God's word. Now, what's the effect of that? What happens when we do that? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Remember Jesus talked about the vine and the branches? We're not worried about fruit, oranges and apples. We're, we're, we're more concerned about fruit, fruits of the spirit or the, the fruit of, of drawing close to Christ, which brings about the fruits of the spirit. His leave also should not wither and whatsoever he does shall prosper. I think spiritually speaking, focusing on that. But you got to work hard. It's not easy to meditate on God's word day and night. It's not easy to memorize scripture. It's not easy to be in God's word all the time. It's not easy to be in prayer when you don't feel like praying. If it was easy, it would come to anybody. If it was easy, 
then, then, you know, you look at some of these Olympic athletes, well, if it came easy, then everybody would win the gold medal, but they didn't. They had to work hard, which brings us right into our second point, discipline. First Corinthians chapter nine, we'll get back to second Peter, but first Corinthians chapter nine. It's a tough passage here. It's a tough, it's a tough sermon, but it's a sermon that has to be said and heard, and I think repeatedly, because we tend to drift from God. And our flesh desires everything but God. And I fight that flesh every day. I battle it. And I have to force myself to pray and read and meditate, and I'm glad that I did it. Just like sometimes I force myself to work out, but I'm glad I did it afterwards. Now, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Now, he's speaking about the Olympic Games, I believe, here. Now, remember, it's in Greece, and, and, and Corinth is a city of, of, of Greece, okay? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Could you imagine in the Olympics if a 100-meter sprint or 200 meters or 400 meters or, you know, a 10K, if people are running that race or the hurdles and they're kind of running nonchalantly, like just kind of chilled out, they're running that race. Can you imagine that? That country, all the time they put into that person? What a knucklehead. You don't run casually. If you're in a race... And, and it's a, you, you know, you're trying to be serious and win this race. Or even if you're running races and you want to get a PB, a personal best, you run in such a way that you're trying to do that. Now, is Paul concerned about races? No, because he's going to put this into our pursuit of God. And everyone, verse 25, who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. That's disciplined. Athletes must be disciplined. Now, immediately, some of you are thinking right here, I'm not really a very disciplined person, so you're shutting it off. Well, you know what? The Christian life is not lived through your power. It's through the power of God. So what you should say is this. I'm not a very disciplined person. I'm weak in myself. But Jesus Christ said I can do... I can, the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I'm going to turn to God and ask him to make me disciplined from the inside. out. You see, that's the Christian life. Peter was called a large rock by Christ. Was Peter a large rock? Was Peter stable? He was the opposite. What Jesus was doing, he was looking and saying, you're the opposite of a large rock, but I'm going to make you into a large rock. Peter spoke when he shouldn't. He jumped in the water too quickly, right? But at the end, he forsook Christ and said he wouldn't. He put his foot in his mouth. But at the end, he died for Christ because God made him that person. Was Gideon a man of valor? A great man of valor? No, he wasn't. He was down there in, in, in the wine press and he was, he was winnowing the wheat. And you don't winnow the wheat in a wine press. You do it up above because you need the air. 
he was doing it there because he was afraid. And when God told him he was going to do things, he asked him multiple, multiple times to give me a sign. He wasn't a great man of valor. God made him a great man of valor. And some of us make excuses sometimes, and all of us, I think, at all times make excuses to say, well, I, I just, I can't do that. You can't. You can't do it. Jesus can. I'm not a disciplined person. Well, Jesus can make you a disciplined person. Isn't that the thing that gives God the glory? To take our weak, us, our, us as weaklings and make us strong? Isn't that the power of the gospel? And isn't it really true, if we're going to be honest, for us to simply say, it's not a lack of discipline, but it's a listen, but it's a lack of faith. That's what it is. I don't believe God. I don't believe God can do this. I don't believe God could make me disciplined enough to memorize scripture. I don't believe God can, can give me the time or give me the desire to read and study and to, to pursue him. I don't believe that. So I'm not going to try to set aside time for that. Isn't that really what it is? Let's be honest. Psalm 15 verse 2 says, tells us, asks us a question in verse 1. Who's the person that can dwell on God's uh, holy hill, his secret tabernacle? In other words, who's the person that can have intimate fellowship with God? Because that's what we're talking about today. And then in verse 2, it says something very telling that we don't like to hear. It rubs against my flesh. The person that speaks truth in his heart. The person that speaks truth in his heart. God, I don't have the discipline to study your word like I should. And instead of getting discouraged about that, saying, oh, I'm such a bad person and such a bad Christian and having a pity party that we want to do sometimes, we can say, but God, I want to know you and you've given me the tools and I'm asking you to do a work in me. Philippians 2.13, it's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, it's either this, we either believe that verse or we don't believe it. The Bible says in Psalm 138.2 that God esteems his word higher than his name. And there's many times I've lifted God's word up to him and said, now, God, I can't do this. I don't even have the desire to do this. But this is what your word says. And I lift it up to you and you've got to fulfill your word. He has to. He has to work in us. And if we don't believe that, then it comes down to lack of faith. We just don't believe God's word. And if that's true, then be like the man that says, I believe, but help my own belief. Because that's being honest with God. And God can work with that because he's gracious. He's merciful. He's kind. He's long-suffering. And he wants the best for you. And the best for you is a lot of him. That's what he wants. Now, we continue here. It says this. Everyone who competes for the prize is disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. I can just tell you from running uh, triathlons in Ireland, 
and I wasn't good at them. But as a hobby and trying to get personal best, there's a lot of work running, cycling, and stretching, and eating right, and all those things. And I wasn't even running for the crown. The crown there was the Stephanos crown. You know those wreaths you'd see in the, in, in, you know, in the, the old films or the Olympic Games? That was those wreaths. So it was like a gold medal. God says they're doing all this hard work, all this effort for this crown that'll probably last like a couple weeks probably and fall apart, I'm guessing. Even a gold medal that, that eventually you're not going to take it with you. Now, God says this to you in your walk with Christ. Therefore, I run, Paul says, is I run not with uncertainty. I have a goal. You got to set goals. You don't have goals. You're going to miss the mark every time, right? Therefore, I run not with uncertainty. The, the Olympic, the person training for the Olympic athlete training for the competition has a, has a goal and knows how to train and implements it. Thus, I fight not as one that beats the air. Paul says, I am in a fight, not as a boxer. Now, look what he says, because you're in a fight. But I discipline my body. And bring it into subjection. You see, there's that word again. Well, Paul was probably really disciplined. No, he wasn't. He wasn't disciplined. He just he, he just had a, a strong God. He's the one that wrote, penned, and said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's the one to pen in Philippians 2.13. It's God who works in me, both the will and do of his good pleasure. So it's God. The inference is, it's yielding to God and coming to God. But I discipline my body. Depends on God, but then we work hard. I discipline my body and bring it in subjection. That word discipline means to strike in the eye. It's like Paul is saying, I'm in a fight and I am fighting my flesh every single day. You're in a fight. You're fighting your flesh. You're fighting the world. Fight back. Strike back. Don't lay down. And he says this, and I bring in a subjection. Subjection means slavery. Your body, now listen to me, your flesh wants to make you a slave. Wants to destroy you. Wants to take you away from God. And all that matters. And Paul says, I fight my body and I say, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do. Through the power of God. I'm going to say, I'm going to read the Bible at this time. You body say to me. That's the idea. And I discipline my body and bring in subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. He knew it was possible for the flesh to get the best of it. And that's the start right there. Now, let's go back to Second Peter. And we're going to rip right through this because there's only a couple verses. Discipline. Work hard to know God through discipline. The discipline that God will give you, it's not conjured up in the flesh. It's not self-discipline. It is coming to God and, and pouring our hearts out and asking him and then fighting. That's what it is. Now, verse 6. To knowledge, we talked about that, it's knowing God. Self-control, that's our word. Discipline. And then to self-control, perseverance. 
Perseverance means what is it going to take to stop you from doing what, you're, what you should do or you want to do. In other words, I am going to set this time aside for God or I am going to meditate on God's word when I'm driving or I am going to whatever it is. What's going to, what is going to stop you from doing it? Because listen to me, I guarantee you, 100% guaranteed. If you today make a decision and say, I need, God has spoken to me, and I hope he has. God has spoken to me, and I need to make some changes. I guarantee you the devil will throw darts at you. Guaranteed. More than even when you're sharing the gospel with people. I've had instances, I was in a, in, a, in a retirement home one time in Ireland, and I was sharing the gospel, and God gave us a great opportunity during Christmas, and I was sharing the gospel with a group of people, and as I was sharing the gospel, one of the guys with me started shaking, and he passed out right in front of me, and it was the moment was gone, and somebody came to me and said, you know, that was all about, I said, absolutely, and I'm telling you, if you say, I want to pursue God and know God, I am telling you, the devil will resist you more than that. Perseverance. What is it going to take to stop you? God, help me. God, the devil's getting in my way here. I'm discouraged. Speak the truth in your heart. God, I need strength. I came to you, and this is what's happened. I need strength. Journal. Write your feelings down. Pour your heart out to God. First Peter 5, 7. Cast your care upon him for he cares for you. Moment by moment. God's right there. He's always there. Get through it. Perseverance. You got to persevere. And then to perseverance, godliness. And godliness is thinking, the idea of godliness is thinking about God all the time. I'm going to stand before God. Therefore, I'm going to watch my thoughts. I'm standing before God, therefore I have to watch my actions. I'm going to stand before God, therefore I must be disciplined. That's the idea of godliness. So discipline. And then, thirdly, sacrifice. Brother Eric read this morning with David's three men breaking through the enemy lines just to get him a glass or a cup of water. And he couldn't drink it because they sacrificed their lives. He had, to, he had to pour it out. It meant so much to him. And, and, and reverse that. That king meant so much to these men. They're willing to risk their lives for him. Now, God isn't asking us to die necessarily, although hopefully that won't be the case, but someday it could. I, I hope not, but. Someday it could. God give us strength if it is. But he wants us to live for him. Romans chapter 12. Perhaps the greater challenge. Because living for God is a day-to-day -day thing. Dying is only in a moment. But what we have to do is we have to die to self. So we have to sacrifice our will. That's the sacrifice. Well, this is what I want. No, you put that aside. This is what God wants. Well, I like putting my time in this. Well, maybe God's saying, maybe. He might say, well, pull back a little bit. And usually he changes our desires as we spend time with him. 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Romans 12, 12, verse 1, by the mercies of God. Now note that. God's mercy that helps us. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they were a sacrificial system. And you would take the animal and you would kill it. And you would oftentimes present the blood as a sacrifice to God. And God says, I'm not asking you to kill yourself. It's almost an anomaly. I'm asking you to die to your will and, and to yield to me. The word present is to yield, to yield your will to me. And that's not just a one-time thing, or that's not even just a daily thing. That's a moment-by-moment -moment thing. When we sin, we've got to confess our sins and yield back again. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God. And then he says, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable. It's logical is the idea. Isn't it reasonable because Jesus Christ came and died on the cross? Isn't it reasonable we should die to self and allow him to be Lord? That's what it's saying. That's a reasonable thing. It's not, it's not like we're going above and beyond. That's a reasonable request. And get this, on top of it, it's the best thing for us as well. Yielding to Christ, abiding to Christ, gives us joy, the passage says in John 15. And then it says, and here's the thing we have to be careful of. And do not be conformed to this world. The world is trying to mold us into its image. It's trying to get us to think the way it thinks. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed is metamorphosis. It's, it's, it's the term that we have a, a, um, a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. It's a change from the inside out. That only God can bring about. But we have to yield our will to him. And we have to fight against worldliness. Again, work hard to know God. Now, as we wrap up here, let's go to 2 Peter. We'll wrap it up here. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. We're on this third point. We've looked at work, work looked at, excuse me, time and effort. We looked at discipline. And now we're looking at sacrifice. To godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Brotherly kindness probably would be better rendered as love, because it is love. It's just brotherly love. That's why they translate it brotherly kindness. And the word love there is a gothe love, which is a self-sacrificial love. And that's why the point is sacrifice. And so it's sacrificing our will and sometimes our time and other things to and, and to to build our relationship with God because that's that's the text here today. It's work hard to know God. To know God, it's sacrifice. Just like people that play music sometimes have to sacrifice. I remember when I was playing baseball and the coaches would say, you know what, we're on a traveling team saying, you're sacrificing your time. Other kids are out swimming and doing all these things, and you're out. Two a days playing baseball. It's a sacrifice. That was just for baseball. But now this is for building a relationship with God. And it's not as if we're sacrificing something that's going to hurt us. Because when we sacrifice these things and we sacrifice our will or we give our will to God, we get the best. Because Christ has given us life and life more abundantly. 
because we have full joy, joy overflowing when we yield to the Lordship of Christ. And so sacrifice. And so as we wrap this up and we transition into the Lord's Supper, we look at verse 9, for it says this, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. You know what that shows me? Now, now look what it says here. We can be short-sighted, and we'll talk about that a little more next week, or even blind. And I think the idea is we're blind to our relationship with God. The, the world can take, has such an influence on us and our, and our, and our, the devil can deceive us and our, our flesh can deceive us so much that here's the pot of gold. And not only do we not have it, but we can't even see it because we've been so um, influenced by other things. And what that shows me is it's possible as believers for that to happen. For he had lacks these things, is short-sighted, even a, even a blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. We forgot somehow about that, that excitement when we got saved, or when we were really fervent for God. And, and, and we, we wanted to uh, pursue God. I remember when I first got saved, the guy that led me to the Lord said, Write down 10 things you don't like about yourself and pray that God will take them out of your life. And I said, great idea. And I started doing it. And then praying and then memorizing scripture and then fighting against that. And that's something I still do to this day. Although I found that list is gross. You think it would shrink, but it doesn't. It grows as you grow in Christ. But let's not forget why God saved us to be holy, to be pure, to be intimate with him. So when we look at the Lord's Supper, we can flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we can see here, there's warnings. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and a time to examine ourselves. And I wanted today, as we, when we take the Lord's Supper in a moment, we're going to have a time, to, as we usually do, just to meditate and to think about what was preached today. And I want us to take that time and think about what was said today. Because verse 27 says this, Therefore, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. It means we can't just take these things that were just talked about in our relationship with God casually. We can't just go through the motions. It's a time now to examine ourselves. It's a time to say, God, this is a challenging message. Where am I at with you? And, and not make a promise. Don't make a promise to God. I've never seen a Bible where somebody makes a promise to God and it works out well. But ask God to help you, to come alongside. There's some things, Lord, that I've seen, and I'm asking you to point some things out and give me some realistic goals that I can strive through for this year. And make sure they're realistic. 
because they're not, you get discouraged. But I'm asking you to do something. I want to take a step, God. So as we have this time, I want you to think about that. And of course, think about what Jesus did, that he died for our sins, the just for the unjust as well. And so after we do that, then we will celebrate and partake of the Lord's Supper together. So let's pray. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, instruction to the church. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And that's why we do it. And then verse 25, he says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your love. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for his sacrifice. Lord, none of us are worthy of that sacrifice. That sacrifice came not from a God that looked at this world and saw some good, as some will say. That sacrifice came from a God who saw that the world was evil. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. The Bible says in Romans 5, verse 10, or verse 8, that even though we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ died for us, even though we were his enemies, as Romans 5, 10 says. Lord, we thank you for that amazing sacrifice, for that amazing love. And Father, we thank you that that relationship with you doesn't stop just stop at the cross it starts at the cross but father we thank you that you care about us so much that over and over and over again in the scriptures you tell us to work hard 
to pursue you. Lord, because you are the best thing for us. There's nothing better for us in this world other than a close and closer and closer relationship with you. So, Father, we thank you for that. And we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support and we hope you have a God-blessed day.